You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Again, this is To Stir With Love, a criminal justice reform podcast. And this is the second part of our bail reform discussion. Uh, this is a conversation that I had very recently with uh, Jonathan Minkus, who is a uh, very respected, admired criminal defense attorney in Chicago uh, for f- 40 years. And uh, he is a person who brings to the table a lot of understanding experience about this issue. And I'd like to share with you the conversation that I had with him that follows immediately. Very uh, pleased to be joined by someone that I've had a, a connection to in years past, but once since we've started this podcast of uh, criminal justice reform, I've become reacquainted, and I'm so happy that you reached that I you were able to uh, respond to me re- to my reaching out to you, uh, and that is uh, Jonathan Minkus, a criminal defense attorney for over 40 years in Chicago. And as we heard last week, uh, Chicago isn't exactly um, the easiest place to be practicing law, um, especially the type of difficult crimes uh, that we hear about consistently. So I'm sure that uh, you are a veteran, really, of the trenches, right, uh, Jonathan? Uh, yeah, about as veteran as you can get. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, I don't, there aren't too many lawyers in Chicago who do criminal work who are, uh, you know, still, still at it like I am. Wow. And, uh, you know, I know we, we're here to t- really talk about the uh, bail reform, uh, which was really your idea to really talk about. It. And we talked about it in the previous segment that, um, that we talked to, uh, some of our, our panel earlier, um, so, so Jonathan, you know, you're really the one who probably, you know, we talked we talked to a police captain. We talked to, of course, uh, I would say Rabbi and Mr. Scheinman, who are activists and are supporters and are chaplains and ministers towards uh, the people who are uh, incarcerated and the the great burden of bail has been placed on them. And we talked about some of the inequity and some of the ways to deal with it. But, but you know, you're really the one who's dealing with it. Uh, like I said, in the trenches, in actuality. So why don't you describe a little bit about what what is the situation now, how it's changed, um, and, and, and the problems that you see with the system right now? Sure. Well, it's changed very dramatically, uh, at least in, you know, here in Illinois. In Illinois, we, we had a very comprehensive bail reform where... Um, only for the most severe crimes uh, or for people who were deemed to be the most dangerous to the community. Uh, Everybody is released on bail. uh, And um, again, only those charged with murder. And and by the way, it's not automatic on murder cases even. Um, Only those who are charged with, with taking somebody else's life um, with a few other exceptions, uh, are deemed uh, not to be eligible for, for bail. Uh, but so for the most part, um, people who commit all manner of crimes and mayhem in Illinois um, are released back into the community. 
with either a very nominal bail uh, or most of the time, uh, either on no bail or on the electronic home monitor. Um, and so what you have here in Chicago in Cook County is you have uh, the Cook County Jail now managing a population of um, only those that are the most violent offenders who were not eligible for bail or people who uh, violated the terms of their electronic home monitoring or house arrest. Um, but for the most part, what they're doing is they're managing a electronic home monitoring system uh, yes. So we heard about that. Actually, I know you didn't get a chance to hear that. We heard Rabbi Scheinman spoke about that, and he spoke about the successes. Uh, and 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 I think the uh, the city is realizing, or the county is realizing, that uh, although there is a little bit of upfront expense in terms of training people, eventually they expect it to reduce the total costs from uh, dramatically. Uh, from from the county and from the city as well in terms of not housing these uh, this is regardless of the of the deleterious effect that it's having on people being incarcerated it's going to be a money saver as well right well yeah ideally um, having people being uh, placed on electronic monitoring is a wonderful alternative and a cheaper alternative as you say rabbi to uh, incarceration. Um, however, it probably will not surprise you or your listeners to know um, that there is rampant, rampant violations of that electronic monitoring. Um, yes, Cap. Again, I, I hate referencing our previous program, but Captain Sosnovic mentioned <laughs> that he uh, he believed that there are ways to really get around it and to really uh, uh, yeah, there's there's the there's there's they're always building the better mousetrap, but the mice are quite intelligent as well. Yeah, I, you know, I spend I'm in court every morning on Zoom um, with regard to my clients, and so I am able to see and hear. Um, not only on a daily basis, but many, many times a day where state's attorneys are filing motions to revoke the electronic home monitoring bond conditions for people who screwed up. Um, I can tell you that I had, just as an example, I had a client who called me uh, last week who was on electronic home monitor for uh, with the charge of being an armed habitual criminal. And this is somebody who's been in trouble, trouble with the law, felony cases, multiple times, and then he got arrested with a gun. And that is in Illinois, a class X felony, so it's non-probationable, six to 30 years in prison at 85%. And he called me up and he said, Mr. Minkus, I would like to come see you in, in your office. Is that okay? And I said, of course. So when would you like to come? And he made an appointment with me and um, he's been on house arrest for quite some time, uh, but evidently the um, lure of being able to be outside in the world was too much. He never showed up in my office. And when he didn't show up, I knew of course what happened. And the next day I get an email from the state's attorney telling me that he was, 60 miles away from my client um, doing 
who knows what. Um, and now he's back in, now he's in jail. Uh, so, so it's interesting, Jonathan, you're saying that even though the, again, we know this idea that you're under house arrest, but there's exceptions given for house arrest to be able to meet with your attorney. So, yeah. so in other words, you need to clear it, I guess, with the officers in charge of monitoring That's that there right. is going to be a trip from the, where the client is sequestered in hall, at his home to the attorney's office. And therefore the GPS which will indicate where that person is, they'll be able to see that he's on the Dan Ryan or whatever it is towards uh, to your house, right? And if they and if they see that's not happening, then they say the guy is sort of jumping bail, so to speak. Right? That's, a, that's exactly correct. That's exactly uh, correct. So in this case, I have no idea what my client was doing, but it's a good example of the problems with the system because uh, for all I know, heaven forbid, he was out there committing another crime. Um, and so um, it's an example of the- Of the abuse that the system could be taken. So, so again, you, like we said, you've, you've been there for 40 years. Would you say that you are more comfortable now with the, uh, with the loosening of, of of the restrictions, well, or do you, or, or do you feel so, that? Go yeah, ahead. That's a great question. I'm a criminal defense lawyer, so my sensibilities and my heart are always with my clients, um, and I have always tried to come at my representation of clients from a, a good heart and a devotion to doing justice. Um, but one can't. I mean, you'd have to, you're, you're smacked in the face every single day with the mayhem that is occurring, not just in Chicago, but in all of our cities. Um, gun, horrible gun violence. And so the inescapable conclusion, inescapable in my view, uh, is that people who are committing crimes with guns need to be, um, need to be locked up in, in, and their cases heard in, in hopefully prompt and very fair way um, with good representation and the justice system doing its best to determine guilt or innocence. And you also can't escape the inevitable conclusion that there would be, that there must be a deterrent effect towards the idea that if you get caught with a gun, you're going to get locked up. Um, right, so- you Stem this horrible violence. So, so it's really strange because what we've heard about, for example, in New York, <laughs> that, that it's only the violent crimes uh, where bail is mandatory and it's set at a, a certain high, uh, a high level. Um, What's, what I'm understanding from you is, is that a crime that's not violent, but the perpetrators carrying a gun would be, would, would be one of these types of crimes that in, because of the new bail reform, the person wouldn't have to be stuck with a, to have to pay bail. Because even though they had a gun with them, there was no violence acted with that gun. Well, I can, yes, you're correct. And I can take it a step further, even if, there was violence associated with that gun, uh, unless a person was killed 
And even if that person, a person was killed, there still is eligibility for release on home confinement, electronic monitoring, and the posting of somebody. Uh -huh. So that so which is interesting because I don't know if that's the case in New York and we know again we've talked about uh, on our previous segment we talked about New York and Houston Chicago uh, which are three of the main cities major metropolitan cities you know I, I, I guess we could throw Los Angeles in there as well and I think in all of those places the the pandemic of violence uh, of violent crime uh, has 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 erupted and the victims we can't as I know you're always you're on the side of the uh, of your clients, you have to be, but you understand, of course, the terror, the tragedy, and the horror of all the victims of these violence. And uh, we've talked about how the victims uh, are, are also members of the same uh, you know, underprivileged class that these uh, that these revisions were meant to help. Right? Though the idea of of of, of bail reform. Uh, as as we've spoken about, and, and there's been many articles and very um, uh, dramatic and and I think authentically honest appeals to change it was because it was really skewed against uh, members of uh, of the African American community, people from communities that weren't able to pay the large amounts, uh, people that were forced to sit in uh, confinement, sometimes in order to be heard their cases longer than the crime. But the bail reform that was meant to help those members has actually impacted negatively on them because the victims who are also parts of those communities are now suffering oh, because of the violence that's being unleashed upon them, right? That is empirically uh, not in dispute. The overwhelming amount of gun violence in Chicago is concentrated in two primary areas of the city that are overwhelmingly, if not almost entirely, uh, African-American. Um, so they're preying on each other. It's horrendous. So really, it, it sounds like, you know, from your perspective, um, and, and even though you've got, I'm sure, a heart of gold, and the fact that you've been 40 years, you must have a, you know, a, a people know that you're an address that people can come to for compassion and understanding. But it sounds like it was perhaps well-intentioned, but it's really gone off the rails. Uh, that's, I couldn't have put it better myself. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly, it's exactly what is occurring. So, you know, uh, on our previous segment, I talked about the 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 other sort of a hidden phantom in the room, which is the bail bond companies. And I think I might have sent you some reading material about that. You know, was there, you know, a, a political angle here to keep bail high as it was and for the bail bond companies to stay in business the way they were? In Illinois, there, 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 there are no bail bond companies. Uh -huh. uh, in, uh, in other states where, in, in the fairly common throughout the United States. Uh, yeah, I'm quite sure that, that they had they had a stake in the game and were very opposed to it. Uh, so in Illinois, you know, Rabbi Scheinman, you know, you'll get a chance to hear the previous episode. Yeah. Rabbi Scheinman spoke about 100,000 is not uncommon, 250,000. And of course, you need to, just like, you know, you have to come up with 10%. And then I guess mortgage the rest of your house or, or somehow to, to put up for the rest, right? You have to come up with the right. let's say let's say a two hundred fifty thousand uh, dollar bail is set, which Rabbi Scheinman said is not uncommon, and I'm right, it's not that uncommon. No, not uncommon. 
and and therefore the the uh, the person who's arrested uh, and his family who are obviously trying to help him have to come up with twenty five thousand in cash, and and the rest of the money, if it's not a bail bond, how is the rest of the money secured? Usually through some sort of mortgaging of their homes or something like that, or collateral. That it's, it, that is extraordinarily rare. It's just you know when people do have to post bond and when bond is posted, it's it occurs by uh, you know the family digging deep into whatever reserves they have in order to post that bond. And 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 so in Illinois. Since as you say there's no bail bond, so how do they come up with a quarter of a million dollars? They don't. <laughs> so, so some of these. So then, the, the, if 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 they can't, does the person have to sit? Is incarcerated? He has to wait. Yeah, they can sit in jail. Look, the only people that post bond like that are not are are the millionaires, the wealthy, the the non, the people. You know who are not from those other segments of society, right? And that's why part of the reason they thought it was an unfair, it was an it was an unfair system. It is unfair. It is. Unfair. <laughs> There's no question about it. Uh, it's just you know how do you reform the system so that um, you know crime isn't rampant and yet there's some equity to it. You know, one of the things we we discussed in the previous segment was. Um, not only an algorithm, which uh, I think I shared with you the article by Jonathan Lippman about coming up with an algorithm of risk assessment, but also taking into consideration a realistic understanding of what that person's economic situation is. And therefore, instead of it being this astronomical amount that it's impossible to meet, just like sometimes we find in, in, in the Gemara and Chazal, they talk about uh, demanding from each person a contribution for charity based on what that person is making. The books have to be open. Um, I know that would be a little bit of pay, a lot of paperwork, but do you think that would be more equitable in terms of bonds, the amount of bail, depending on each person? And what, obviously for Vanderbilt or, 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 or Reinsdorf, I don't know if that's the right. It would be, let's say, a certain amount. But for, you know, for someone uh, from the South Side and from the, you know, I forgot the name of those homes. That's the most famous ones that they, uh, but you know what I'm talking about. From some yeah. of the, from some of the, uh, uh, my, my Chicago expertise is, is dwindling. In it's, it's fading. It's <laughs> fading. But I forgot, there was one famous, what was the name, Jonathan, of that, of that, of that famous uh, area in the South Side? They made documentaries about it. A huge series of, of, of they were supposed to be. Robert Taylor Holmes. Robert Taylor Holmes. That's it. Yeah. Yes, you got it right. That's it. So the Robert Davis, which were supposed to be this forward-looking way for uh, for to, to affordable living, really turned into almost like uh, a, you know a, a dystopian horror scene, right? The Robert Taylor Holmes, in terms of the way uh, the gangs uh, proliferated there to a, a horrible extent. So someone from Robert Taylor versus someone from uh, you know uh, up in the the, the, the highest area of it in Lakeshore Drive, maybe it makes sense to, to, right, to... Yeah, no, I mean, I, yeah, I, I certainly think that's something worth exploring. Um, yeah, for sure. And they've been using, you know, these sorts of uh, algorithms or predictive um, uh, models in Illinois for quite some time. Uh, so when you have a bond hearing, 
they will give the judge a risk assessment based upon that algorithm, that calculation, which mostly has to do with a person's criminal history and prior history of appearing in court. So while algorithm sounds like it's this, you know, highly intricate calculation. A Manhattan Project type of thing. <laughs> yeah, I think it's mostly common sense. Uh, in other words, how many times has he been arrested? Did he show up <clears throat> for his for his trial or or for his arraignment? Um, yeah, and what were the crimes that he did? But still, there it's, it's to, to have a number that a judge could point at. Uh, I think you listened to our last episode, and 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 you remember that the point was made that sometimes there's an arbitrariness, uh, an arbitrariness that the judge has in terms of deciding. I think if you the more you have data, again, data can be finagled with, but I think the more data that you have the more equitable result you're going to have based on that data and 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 people aren't going to you know people aren't going to be saying oh you were just trying to uh to incarcerate someone because of his skin color or because of where he's from sure. no if you we know this as a teacher you know of course i taught your son and i, yeah. I one of the things that i learned is make sure kids have the data you can point to you can't just say you're getting a C plus in conduct because I don't like, you know, because because, you know, you're a chutzpah. You need to show uh, a conduct record every single day and to show a certain a certain number. And and that number, you know, it diffuses uh, the type of uh, arguments that are made. And people have to say, yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, we're not going to blame, keep on blaming society for you. You have to own up and take responsibility. This is your record. And, you know, this is where it is. And I think that, so that's something that I suppose people like you and, and people in your profession are probably applauding and saying there should be more of that, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, I think you put it well. Yeah, the, uh, and, and and are you finding, um, you know, now let's talk about, uh, you know, uh, one of the questions that, that, that we talked about before we started recording and it was based on our last week's episode. Um, are, are, are you finding that with the bail reform, there's also a little more transparency in terms of the plea bargaining and the agreement on playing and, 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 and or, or is that still a, a, like a poker game? Huh. Yeah, no, I don't think there's, I don't think there's been any changes to that. I think, um, I, the only thing I would say is, is that for a lot of clients of mine who have been on electronic home monitor for quite a long time, resolving their questions by their cases rather by plea bargain has actually become easier because state's attorneys uh, treat that time on electronic home monitor as if they were in jail. Mm. So a state's attorney can say, well, let's agree to have your client plead guilty for two years in prison will give him credit for the year that he's been sitting at home. Uh, and that, of course, it becomes very attractive to your client and to myself in terms of a uh, rather prudent way of resolving the case. And, and one of the things that the Rebitz and Scheinman brought up in the previous uh, segment was that the uh, 
having to be in in an in, in incarcerated area in a and not not as nice as some of the prisons that they're going to they would eventually end up in but the holding area it was so pressure filled that the mental state of the people there would become uh, if it was already tenuous, would be exacerbated to the point that they'd be ready to accept and to plead to anything, even if it meant signing away a good portion of their life. Are you are you finding now? Oh, I, I think she's she's without question correct on that. Um, she's correct. The I've had undoubtedly many many clients who have pled guilty where they were either innocent or or not guilty of what all of the things that the police were saying, just because the conditions that they were being kept in were so hellish uh, that it was just get me the heck out of here, sir. And they've come to you. So now in the new era, despite its shortcomings, are you finding that that's happening less, right? They're not, that they are, they are, they're actually, and you're able to mount, you're able to mount a better defense. Yes, yes, I, yes. I, I think that's fair. I think you're there's less pressure. There's, yeah, yeah. I think there's less pressure, and I think you're able to um, start right. things out and make these decisions with a uh, clearer head and and with um, you know uh, not the coercive nature of the. Uh, hellish nature of big city, uh, you know, jails. Um, uh, two more things. Rikers Island in New York. And, yeah. Um, it's well, well, two more things, uh, Jonathan. Um, one of the things that uh, we talked about in the previous segment, and you mentioned it here now as well, is the glacial pace of getting your hearing, and that seems to be endemic in New York and Chicago. Um, maybe some of the other great met big metropolitan areas as well. Um, what sort of, you know, obviously, if you limit the amount of incarcerations, there's going to be more people heard in a quicker time frame. We talked about how anti-waiting is to the Jewish concept of inuyadin, that you know, you're supposed to get your trial soon. Uh, we talked about how, how crucial that is. Um, but we didn't have many solutions about you know, obviously there's going to be some dents made with, with what's happening, but there's still an, an interminable amount of time, 18 months, 20 months, till, uh, till the, the, the tr it comes to trial. Um, you and your, in your profession, have you guys thought about ways to, to, to push this thing, uh, to, make, to, to allow cases to be heard quicker, but still not with, you know, not with, a, you know, in Israel, I just tell you, Parenthetically, uh, many of the uh, cases that I know about, which are cases of marriage and divorce, um, there is, uh, they have made progress in terms of hearing the cases, but I think at a, at a, a terrible cost. And the cost is, is you, you get your 15 minutes and that's it. In other words, when you appear in front of the judge, you've got to be quick to the point, and the judge doesn't want to hear anything, and gamarno, it's finished, which of course is not real justice either. Uh, you know, you know, telling everybody that they've got to get their act together and, and giving them their 15 minutes in front or 15 to whatever it is, the half hour or whatever they have is also obviously not an answer uh, because, you know, justice is not really served. So do you and your uh, profession have uh, some ideas about how to change that? Well, 
you know, in the criminal law field, the Constitution um, allows for a speedy trial demand. And um, the easiest way to get your case to trial is to demand trial. Once you demand trial in the state of Illinois, it's no different in every other state in the United States. Uh, but once you demand trial, you start an imaginary clock going. If the person is in jail or in custody, um, that the state has 120 days to bring that person to trial, or the case must be dismissed. So if a big city criminal defense lawyer, knowing that when you do demand trial, you will incur the absolute wrath of the judge and the prosecutors, um, you have to know, you know when to make that demand and when, when incurring that wrath is worth it <laughs> and, and when it's not. But um, why, is that, why, why should there be wrath incurred? It's part of the constitution. It's part of the- They are overwhelmed with, with cases. Uh -huh. So when you when you demand trial, you upset the applicant, and all of a sudden you go to the head of the line, um, and the judge has to, and the prosecutors have to push other cases that were waiting very patiently for their day in court. Um, but yeah, you know, as a defense lawyer, my job is not to. I see is not to play patty cake with the judge and the state attorneys, it's to defend my clients. So, so in other words, this is, this is something I didn't even know about, that, that even though in a perfect system, a demand for a trial shouldn't, you shouldn't get any different treatment, mm -hmm. but the reality is you are gonna get a different treatment. You're, oh, gonna yeah. get a, you're gonna get an ornery judge and an ornery prosecutor. Yeah, and you're gonna get a client who's gonna get hit right over the head. Um, it, should you lose that trial? Uh huh. And in other words, the judge might determine a maximum sentence uh, uh, for the law because he was because of turning over the apple cart. We're going to not look at the crime that was done, but because of the chutzpah that you wanted to have the trial, we're going to hit you over the head with. Perfectly put. <laughs> wow! That if if there if 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 anything illustrates a system broken, <laughs> what we just talked about definitely indicates that, right? Yeah. yeah, and it's universal. It's not just in Chicago. It's in New York City, in every big city. So I had an idea. It's so crazy, you know. It's one of these things. Remember the old movies? That idea is so crazy. It much it just might work. <laughs> it's the producers. Yeah, <laughs> that's just one of the many. But yeah, yeah. it's so it just might work. Right? But I'm not going to suggest springtime for Hitler. It's not going to be. We're not going to have. Oh. <laughs> we're not going to have that. But here's what I'm thinking: something like the idea of a springtime. Um, there are um, uh, county and, and 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 civil judges throughout the United States in areas that are barren, that don't have a very low crime level. The truth is, is though, any judge worth his salt should be able, just like, as we know, I, I, as you know, uh, Jonathan, I am a judge as well. I do, our, I do cases. I was in the CRC. I was a, a judge in the CRC on the Bethin. And of course, I also did uh, in the state of New York working for uh, the Bethin of America. And that is called, as you know, it's, it's, it's an alternative way of, of judging. It's um, arbitration law that we do. Why can't there be a... Uh, 
Using, let me just get the point, using these judges that are in Utah, that are in Montana, that are other places, and especially now with virtual uh, capability, we've got legal minds and, 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 and we don't have to be, oh, it doesn't have to be the 40 or 50 judges within Cook County. It could be, let's expand the, the system. And, and this way, these, it's not some sleepy judge in Arkansas who's just waiting for somebody to come there. We could use that person too. And he can become f- familiar enough with the statutes of Illinois law, <laughs> just like Judge Wapner, you know what I'm saying? Why, why can't that work? Uh, I think it could. I, yeah, I mean, I think it could. Uh, you know, from time to time in Chicago, you there are visiting judges from rural downstate counties that that come up to to help. And I don't, I haven't heard of that happening as much in recent past. But certainly, it was something I was familiar with in the past. But nowhere near enough. I think it's a genius idea. But Rabbi. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.